Warm days, cold nights, fog over morning snow. Welcome to the Nature of Phenology, where we share the cycles and seasons of the outdoors. I'm your host, Hazel Stark, and this episode was written by Joe Horn. Growing up, I had an affinity for the tangled stand of staghorn sumac that grew on the edge of my family's yard. In winter, the bare branches would rise and rattle like so many elk antlers in a February wind. Come spring, they would push out beautiful green compound leaves that always struck me as decidedly tropical in appearance. Then, by midsummer, clusters of bright red velvety berries would appear on conical spikes, completing their tropical aesthetic. By fall, it was always the sumac that seemed to make the biggest show, as it transitioned from summer green to blaze orange and finally shed leaves as they turned to scarlet. Not only is sumac a lovely and fast-growing native shrub, but also it is an important food source for birds in late winter. Yule Gibbon's iconic book, Stalking the Wild Asparagus, was a childhood reading staple. For as long as I can remember, this book has drawn me in with its playful prose, simple line drawings, hit-or-miss recipes, and a peek into the long-lost art of wild foraging. Unfortunately, my New England upbringing presented very different local flora than Yule's mid-Atlantic stomping grounds. Sure, there were plenty of overlaps, like cattails and wild grapes, but there were odd plants I had never heard of, like deer tongue. So my strategy with his books was always to read about the various plants he praised and then try to find them in my area. So I was absolutely delighted when I found that staghorn sumac, a plant I loved so dearly that grew in my very own yard, made it onto the black and white pages of Yule's little book. Yule suggested making a sort of lemonade of the berries by washing them in cold water to extract the flavor and acid from the berries' surface, straining the berries out, and sweetening the resulting liquid to taste. As is usual with his recipes, his approach was very odd. He found that the most effective means of extracting the acid from the berries was to put them all in his home washing machine, put it on a heavy cycle, and capture the resulting liquid as it was pumped back out of the machine. Needless to say, I did not try this method. But the results of my experimentation? Absolutely fantastic. Just like lemonade, but with a hint of refreshing New England wildness. The year after my experimentation with the sumac lemonade, I kept my eye on the berries and noticed that despite their fantastic flavor, our local wildlife left them alone entirely. No birds, squirrels, mice, or raccoons ate them all summer. Fall came, and there they were, still standing, dry, fuzzy, and proud, atop their brilliant autumnal foliage. Winter came, and the red berries were dusted with snow and glazed in ice, but otherwise altogether forgotten. I was in distress. How could no one want to eat these fantastic, albeit sour, fuzzy, and dry little berries? It wasn't until early March, when all grapes were gone by, the cherries devoured by hungry flocks of birds, and the viburnums stripped of their fruit, did the birds finally approach our sumacs. Our northern birds systematically and predictably eat the fruits and seeds of the winter world. They start with those that are the tastiest and most prone to early decomposition, and save those that taste the worst and keep the longest for last. Highbush cranberries with their outrageously bitter and sour berries are one such fruit that will linger long into February, but it would appear that the dry fuzzy berries of sumac win as the least desirable and longest storing fruit of summer past, despite the fact that for us humans, sumac berries make a refreshing summer drink just as soon as they are ripe. 
So this weekend, you can investigate your local patches of sumac and see what birds are taking advantage of this often abundant late winter feast. I have found that robins are some of the most prolific sumac eaters, but other birds will join the harvest as they wait for the last of the snow to melt, the soil to soften, the bugs to hatch, and another season of abundance to spread across the landscape. You can download this episode and find a link to the transcript, photos, information about podcasting, and more by visiting archives.weru.org. Have a nature question that you want us to answer in our show? Simply reach out to us. Theme music was by a pileated woodpecker made available by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Thanks for listening, and please join us next week for another dive into the nature of phenology. (laughs) 